Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Thanks to the folks at Racetech, Motorworks, Suspension Work, and you can tell them you listen to Pulp MX to save money. Get your bike working better. It'll love you better if you love it, man. It's that simple. Get the oil changed. Get the new bushings, new seals. Get the white spring right in there. And uh, Motorwork, too. They've got it all, man. It's privateer proven over the years, supporting a lot of race teams and everything. Racetech.com. Pulp22 is the code to save. Thank you to the guys at Racetech for coming on board. As well as all balls racing, whether it's Vertex Pistons, whether it's Hot Cams, whether it's Pivot Works, whether it's the Bike in a Box uh, complete kit that they have. The guys at All Balls Racing. .com will have you covered and at great prices and great quality as well. So please check them out at their website and support them if you need some replacement parts for your dirt bike. They've got it all from carburetor rebuild kits to pistons to cams to linkage bearings to steering head bearings to connecting rods. Yeah, all of it. Uh, bike in the box. Uh, all Everything's over there. AllBallsRacing.com. Thanks to those guys for the support. Now, on to the podcast. A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxxis Tires, Renthal, Motosport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. With your continuing gracious support of our sponsors, we're thriving at over 1,800 podcasts delivered with over 20 million downloads. Click the Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews, race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's the voice bringing it all to you, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. The Fly Racing 2023 line is out. From head to toe, Fly Racing has you covered. A lot of top riders in the world using Fly Racing, and of course, so should you. From the wild to the mild, they have it all in their uh, in their gear lines, and I love the kinetic stuff and kinetic mesh. It's great. It's my favorite. The Evo stuff has the boa on the on the front of it. Really, really easy to adjust. Uh, love that stuff as well. Please check it out, flyracing.com, the Formula Helmet. You'll be amazed at a Formula Helmet. Simply amazed to use a formula helmet from head to toe they got you covered thanks to the folks at fly racing also thanks to the folks at rental fat bars twin wall bars seven eighths bar fat bar 36 you know these guys for bars you know the quality made all the way over there in the uk and uh great colors as well it's great styles everything else the guys invented the basic basically invented the grip in gray i mean think about it grips were black until these guys came out and made them gray. And uh, now everybody does it, right? Renthal.com, more championships than all the other brands in the pits combined. Factory Kawasaki, Factory KTM, Factory Honda, just some of the guys that depend on Renthal products. Sprockets, chains as well. Really, really good stuff. Mountain bike stuff. Renthal.com. Their website is super informative, super easy to use. So please check it out. Good color, good photos on there too. Uh, yeah, thanks to the folks at Renthal. Maxxis Tires, of course. Maxxis.com for more information. SGB Maxxis Honda team. Kay Clayson. Alex Ray using uh, Maxxis Tires out there. And uh, yeah, great mountain bike stuff too. I love the Minions out here in Vegas and the desert work really well for me. 
Maxis.com for more information on that and support them. They support a lot of uh, podcasts and other moto media sites. And so, yeah, if you're looking for something light truck, trailer tires, mountain bike tires, or dirt bike tires, look at Maxis if you haven't done it for a while. Thank you to those guys for coming on board. Really looking forward to this Kenny Safford interview. The guy's done so much in the industry. It's crazy when you look back at some of the innovations he came up with, helped to come up with, what he's done, what he's designed, who he's been around. Uh, Really, really cool. One of those neat stories in our industries that I I love to tell. Some of these guys like Kenny are my favorite interviews in the sport, and we need to do a part two because he he blows me away in this podcast with some of the information that he's done, some of the products that he's designed and all of that. So thank you to Kenny for coming on board. Thanks to motorsport.com and Cobalinks as well, along with the Renthal and the Maxis and the All Balls guys. I'll tell you more about them later on in the show. But for now, here's a conversation with myself and Kenny Safford, designer of so, so many iconic products. Here we go. As promised here on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, a man on the line who has done so much in the industry behind the scenes, and you may not know his name, but you definitely know the work he has done and the people that he's been involved with over the years for a long time. Currently at Mechanicsware, product manager, senior designer uh, there, Kenny Safford. What's up, Kenny? How are you, man? I'm very well. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. Yeah, like you said, you know, I... I've kind of been hiding my behind my designs for quite a few years, and um, it's nice to talk about this kind of stuff. You know, it's nice to see that um, you know it made a difference, and that people still remember it. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, like I said, you've been a part of so many great things, and and yeah, people may not know their name, but we'll dive into some of the stories and some of the designs and some of the things that hit for you, some of the things that missed for you, and and I as I we were saying before I hit record, I can't believe I don't think we've ever met. I'm not sure, and it's just amazing that we've never met. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a bucket full of names I'll drop throughout this time. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, um, so, no, I, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. How's everything at Mechanicsware? Yeah, Mechanicsware is good. You know, a couple years ago, they, uh, Jim, you know, Jim Hale passed away. I, that's got to be five years now, four years. And uh, his family was running the company, his mom, Sherry, and I mean, uh, his wife, Sherry, Michael, my boss, that Jim's son has been running the company. And they took on an investment uh, investment group as new owners and, now we're just uh, in Dublin business, and you know it was a robust business when I joined there, rejoined there actually twelve years ago, and it's um, I want to say it's probably doubled again in that time. So things are really busy. You know we we take care of so many different kind of hands out there. You know guys from tactical and military to uh-huh. guys who pose and cutting grass and you know everything in between. So yeah, it's super busy and and a, and a good time. You know it's a good time to kind of be in in. Um, in retail right now, so people are stoked. Did uh, did Jim break you off a little bit at any point, Kenny, <laughs> when you started Mechanicsware? <laughs> did he do what? Did he break you off a little bit, bit of Mechanicsware at all, ever? Oh, uh, you know, it's like <laughs> when I was there in the beginning, yeah, I'm, we're going to talk all about this, but in the early 90s, you know, before Mechanicsware was, we all had a little bits and pieces of everything, you know, bicycle supply and all and Axo and and it kind of came and went, and you know, after I left Axel, you know, I kind of forfeited all that stuff. Had I known, oh, I, dude, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> there are things you do and things you don't do, and that that's one of the things I did. Yeah, it's it's incredible. What a success story. You know, what's cool is, uh, and I, I'm buddies with Rick Sharon also, uh, who's told me kind yeah. of the backstory behind a lot of Mechanicsware and everything else. Mechanicsware mm-hmm. and Oakley, a couple of companies that started in Moto founded by moto enthusiasts and just surpassed anything to do with motocross and became, yeah. you know, I don't know, maybe fortune 500 companies is too big of a word for mechanics wear, but Oakley and just like, it's cool that these companies are, the roots are in moto and they always were in moto, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, we still, you know, it's like I tell Michael now, he's he's the CEO, and I say, hey, Michael, Mammoth is coming up again, and he says, you know what, Mammoth is in our DNA, you know, it's part of, uh, Jim Hale loved going to Mammoth, he loves supporting that, and whenever we get a chance, you know, you know motocross doesn't make it for mechanics, where let's be, yeah. We take care of everybody. Anybody who who wants to wear a mechanic on a contingency program with us, and we supply pit boards and backpacks. And you know, it's a motocross company, and deep, deep down inside, it still is. So you know, that uh, it it might just be an ember at this point. But um, for those who who really you mm-hmm. know kind of have who really care about it and know about it, you know, myself being one of them, it's it's near and dear. It's funny because I was around as I was a mechanic for a long time, and I was there when mechanics were started, and you know, got the gloves and. It's it's such a weird thing to see the company just skyrocket the way it has because like they're just gloves but it was yeah. it filled a need that you didn't realize you needed and then yeah. and then it took off and you're like why didn't I think of this but it was a great idea when it came into it and it was really cool to wear them and 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 you know and get paid by them I I, I got paid a few times for mechanics where for my rider doing really well it was awesome like a Really neat idea that I would have never thought could have reached the limits that you guys have done there. Yeah, you know the guy who I mean that the, the the guy who invented it really was Brian Lunas. Yeah, you know, he was working. Yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, damn it, I don't know if you know Brian very. Well, I do a little bit, not well, but yeah. Now he's like, damn it, my hands are burning up, and I you know I, I'm using these stupid mud gloves with the silicone little tits on the bottom of them, and he says I need something better, so we kind of. You know, we made him something better, begrudgingly. You know, nobody wanted to do mechanics where in 1991 and 92, we were at, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, what's what's mechanics where? So, you know, from, from one guy's needs, Brian Lunas, you know, this thing just, it turned into, I think, you know, the most popular glove, that glove that, that he invented, the original, you know, we do in, in north of 2 million pair of those things a year. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it just went crazy. What? Uh, how much did you have to do with the original glove, the original idea? Jim coming to you, Brian coming to you. How much did you have to do with that? You know, Brian was like, I need something. I need something that I can spin little 8-millimeter nuts and bolts, and I got to take pipe springs off and change tires, and I don't want to get burned and blah, 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 you know? So we actually had a trials glove, a really, like, dainty trials glove, almost verging on, like, what a golf glove would have okay. been back and uh, gave it to him and said, you know, what about this? And he says, well, it fits well, but it just, it's way too thin, you know, it burns up. So we took a motocross glove, you know, stuff that the peak guys were on like McGrath and cut all the thermal welds off the back of it. And it had fat spandex side gussets. In. Mm-hmm. It was a motocross glove with no logos on it. And he said, this is a great start. So we, you know, we went from there and uh, made it all black. And we're like, what the hell are we going to call this? And we're like, well, let's call it a mechanics glove. And we'll put, we'll put an X on it to be cute. And, you know, off to the races we want. And then we're going to put the word mechanics all over the glove, and it's going to be we're iconic. Gonna, <laughs> we're going to put it in more places and, <laughs> and more than anybody's ever seen. Yeah, it's it's super awesome. And, uh, yeah, what a company. What a great glove. What a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I've used them, yeah. you know, thousands of times. And like you said, two million pairs of the original ones. And there were different versions and different belts. And, you know, you guys have expanded the line over the years. But uh, uh, really, really cool success story for sure. I, I'm a... So I, I did a podcast with Jim, the late Jim Hale, founder of AXO. Uh, I don't, geez, what year is it? Uh, it's 2021, 2022, actually. Uh, I want to say 2017, 2015, I did a podcast with Jim. And, and I'm not just saying this, Kenny, because you're on the line, but it was one of the best podcasts I've ever done. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim went right from, you know, soup to nuts. Uh, he's starting the industry. 
What a nice guy. Uh, what an unbelievably pioneer. I mean, of course, the Motocross Journal magazine, right? He d- dabbled into that. You know, brought Axo to where it was. He talked about uh, the split uh, in in Italy, and just simply fascinating. People dig it up if you can. Search it, Jim Hale podcast. And we were in the process of doing a part two. I had fired him a bunch of questions. Uh, he lives here in Vegas. I was going to meet him. Uh, that's where I'm from, Vegas. I live or I live here now. I was going to meet him, and uh, unfortunately, yeah, passed away suddenly uh, after an operation. Um, you know him. Knew him way better than I ever did. Uh, uh, but everyone in the industry can't say enough good things about Jim Hale, Kenny, and, and yourself included, I guess. What was he like? He was a good a good guy, a good, caring guy. You know, when I was in school, I was freelancing for, for AXO, kind of on the side, via, via the photographer who was doing stuff, Dave Bush at the time. So I met him really early on, you know, when AXO was still in his garage in Chatsworth, you know, Weinert was his neighbor and he was just a Southern California dude, his, you know, he and his wife and young mm-hmm. family and his daughter, Nikki. And, and I was just uh, fresh out of school. You know, we were not so far away in age, you know, four or five years at the most. So we kind of grew up together, you know, in a, in a, an employment sense or, you know, in, a, in, I guess as a person as well, you know, he, he was a great guy to me. He was in my wedding. He was a groomsman. And, you know, we, uh, is carry on the trait. You know, he was caring. He took care of, you know, Axel was, was kind of a vehicle for him to take care of people. He, uh, you know, he had great profit sharings and had insurances and he, he included everybody. You know, you were, when you were on the team, you were part of the team and, and he made you feel that way. And, you know, he cared about you. He cared about how you felt and, you know, mm-hmm. how at your job and were you being challenged and you know a lot more than just you know hitting quotas and making sales and you know his i don't think his end goal i'm not going to say i don't think i know his end goal wasn't to wasn't to make money it was it was to to help people and man he did that in spades so yeah i I miss him you know he was one of one of the great mentors that i had like i said you know early on i learned so much from him not just uh you know in, in the sense of taking chances and risks and following you know your gut and and going for it, you know, but also when when to pull back and when to, uh, you know, when to not take those chances and when to, you know, say you're sorry. So, yeah, I learned a lot from the guy. You know, I miss him every day. Yeah, a lot of people in the industry still that knew him say, I called Jim for business advice. You know, I called Jim for personal advice, right? I, I Riders leaned on him, Bradshaw, Stanton, right? These type of guys leaned on him for help, for advice, and, and seemed like he steered everybody the right way and, and his his – Legacy remains in the industry for sure. Yeah. Um, and and I, I haven't deleted those emails we had either. I haven't deleted those emails that we went back and forth <laughs> on and trying to meet with. Um, I was going to pin them down here in Vegas to talk some more AXO. So, so you, uh, Kenny, you're obviously you're a designer at heart, and we'll talk about some of the products you did. How what's your moto background though? Like, are you a Southern California guy? And parents got you into moto. Did you race much? Were you successful? How did you How did you start with the motocross bug that we all have? Motocross for me was kind of an extension of what my what my dad did for a living. My dad was a professional drag racer. He had a funny car, you know, top field dragster for for the entire time that I was living at home. You know, he started in the in the early '60s and sold it in the late '80s and. I was the, you know, I was the guy who changed the rod bearings because I fit underneath the car when it was, <laughs> you know, when it was hot. So yeah, always had wheels in in my life. You know, my my dad was part of a car club here in Burbank where I was born in California, and and he rode with guys like Don Perdone and Tom McEwen and Tommy Ivo, and he was part of the Road Kings Car Club, and you know he had a Husky and a Boltaco and mm-hmm. and 
you know, and, and that kind of, you know, that, that lived on in me. I, I raced BMX when uh, I was a kid. We moved back to Chicago to be closer to the match racing. They call it in drag racing. You know, it's, we raced, you know, I, I think more times in a week than I went to school. So it was, uh, it was a good time, but Chicago was, uh, was good. You know, it was six months of, of hard weather and three months of soft ice, as you say. In the- <laughs> but, um, you know, drag racing was part of my deal. Wanted to BMX. And then I got my first motorcycle. My dad gave me a YZ80, a YZ80 in 1975. Um, I remember him riding it down the driveway. Man, that was the best day of my life. And I raced it. My dad says, hey, you got a bike. Let's go racing. And it's like, I, I barely even rode the damn thing. And he was a racer. And so, boom, I was a racer. You know, we went to... Uh, where did we go? We went to Byron in uh, northern Illinois. Yeah, I've been and, there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I Man, I have daydreams about going back to that track, but um, raced there a, hand, a handful of times. And, um, you know, after that, I, I bought my next bike myself, which was a 77 YZ80 and then a, and then an 80 this and then an 81 that. And, you know, I've, I've been racing motocross since actually 75, and, and I, I'm really bad at it. You know, I'm... <laughs> I'm like David Thorpe. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm the, the eternal novice. I, I got to a level where I don't, you know, I don't do all the doubles and, you know, I get tired like everybody else, but I love it. It's it's just part of who I am. You know, my wife married me. She says, okay, it's time to get rid of the dirt bikes and stuff. And I says, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And that was that was actually 35 years ago this weekend. You know, we, we, had, we had our anniversary. So dirt bikes are, they're part of who I am. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's the competition and, you know, and, and even more than that, riding the bike, you know, it's everything that surrounds it. Mm-hmm. It's driving races and working on it. You know, I, you know, my two of my boys, I got four kids and my two sons, they're, you know, 28, 24. They got dirt bikes. One's got a Husky and one's got an old, um, Elsinore and we work on them together and ride them. And, you know, it's a good thing to do as a family. And, um, yeah, I, I love racing. I love riding my dirt bike. You know, I, I get out and, and do it as much as I can, probably, uh, I don't know, 27, 28 times a year, which, you know, when you look at it in that sense, it's not too many times, but, you know, it's a couple, two or three times a month, you know, for a guy who's got a full-time job and, um, you know, gas prices and all crap the, the, the way it is. But, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm a moto guy, so not a very good moto guy, but uh, I get out there and rip it up. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so you never, but you never followed dad's uh, car racing, funny car, drag race. You never got into that. Like, you never... And, and was he bummed that you that you got to the path of two wheels other than four? Yeah, you know, we never really had a heart-to-heart about it. He asked me if I wanted to drive a few times, and I said no. And, you know, I saw how hard it was. For, for 18 years, I rode in the sleeper of the truck, and we crisscrossed America. And, and you know, we stayed at, at crappy hotels and ate shitty food, and, mm-hmm. and he lost a lot of races. You know, it's like never bet on a mechanical anything. And, and I was like, I don't think this is really what I want to do. You know, I, and, and I was designing the teams for the race cars and, you know, excelling in art classes and school and stuff. And I said, you know, I think I want to do something with this. And I had no idea it was going to involve motocross or motorcycles or action sports for that matter. You know, I just, I just wanted to design stuff because I had ideas for how to make things better. And, you know, that kind of made my eyes open up a little bit. You know, I, my, uh, told my dad that I was I was leaving you know I loaded up my El Camino put my 81 CR 125 in the back of it and rolled back out to California to go to art school in Pasadena and I was going to be a car designer of all things you know and so I I studied there for a couple of years and the the job kind of outlet for car designers was pretty slim at that time so I shifted my major to product design and 
you know, I think the rest is history. So I got my job at AXO, and yeah. here I am. So, okay, so my brother and I, my brother's three years older than I am. He constantly was doodling, always drawing, and, you know, we, we doing this kind of stuff, and he was into it. I can't draw worth a lick. I, I, I suck at it. I, I was, I'm not artsy at all, any of that stuff. I'm guessing you were like my brother. You were the guy doodling. You were the guy uh, always as a kid and, and even, uh, you know, as a younger adult, were you just looking at something and drawing a, a dinosaur, a car, a dirt bike, anything like that? Was that always you? That was me. And I, I just, my mom re- recently passed away. So we went back to her house to clean stuff out and she had all my old sketchbooks and stuff from <clears throat> junior high and high school and, you know, cringeworthy stuff. But yeah, I was always drawing, you know, it's, I kind of, developed my talent early on to for the technical aspect of it. you know you can learn to be a, a an artist mm-hmm. you know call it that you can learn how to draw as you would a guitar you know learn how to play the guitar but to be a designer you know it's to look at something and and see in your mind how you can either make it different or better or improvements to it or, or whatever the case is so you know at that time i was kind of i was fostering both so i was sketching and doodling and mm-hmm. kind of that way but also you know i was working on projects like i said paint schemes and and signs and stuff like that so problem solving was was uh was easy for me through the design experience well i was gonna we could touch on this later but there is such a fine line between drawing something really cool and having it work having it be productive that's the the constant balance for guys like you right like hey we could do this it would be cool but then it wouldn't work so well here yeah Yeah. do you know that the drawing and the sketch and you know that's just all a, a method to relay your message you know you can be a, a crappy artist and still have awesome ideas you know i i've done projects for companies as large as nike you know and i've seen their designers and you know they're 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 like really bad drawings but the idea <laughs> right so it's like when you have a manager or you have somebody who needs to approve your designs and he understands what you're doing he doesn't need to see a you know a a 10 hour sketch or a, you know, a beautiful painting, or he can envision your design and the problem solving that you put into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of, uh, if you have a, have a weak manager or you need to present it to a bunch of people, you know, part of what you do as a designer is not only problem solving, but you also got to be a salesman on, on some level, you know, you got to get sure. people to believe and to, and to invest in, you know, finance what you're doing. So, um, it does help, you know, drawing pretty pictures does help, you know, I don't know if you ever, if you've gone through my Instagram page, but I, you know, I started out with pens and pencils and markers and I transitioned into a computer. So I know how to draw, you know, I, I draw everything still, you know, when I, when I work on anything new, whether it's a helmet or a boot or a glove, you know, I draw it all because I feel that, um, you know, I, it, it, the emotion of, uh, of a pencil on the paper just, I feel like it, it's more real. People mm-hmm. can relate to that. You know, they, they finish what you started through a, through a visual kind of experience through a drawing. You know, when you see something on the computer and you look at it, and it's it, the computers are so good now with 3D, you don't know if it's real or not. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, it's, a, it's a different experience. So, yeah, I, I like the elegance of a drawing. Uh, so when you head out to Pasadena to go to art college, was that um, – you said to design cars, but – was that like a famous car designing college or like wh- why didn't you go to Illinois? Why did you head to, back to SoCal? What was the the idea behind loading up your 81CR and going to Pasadena? Yeah, it's kind of multifaceted. You know, there's a couple design schools. There's one in Detroit and one, in, uh, one that specialized in automotive design, a really good one in London. But Art Center was the, was the cream of the crop. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. 
<clears throat> and I had friends. My my parents still had friends that lived in California, and they offered up a room at their house. And uh, you know, I wanted to come back to California, and you know, I wanted to race to California. You know, I never raced when I was at Carlsbad a bunch and Saddleback and watched races yeah. when I was. But you know, it's like I wanted to. I, I had been to Redbud and I'd been to Casey and Peoria and all those places. And I wanted to, I wanted to go to California to race my bike because it was it was cool. So it was a selfish thing on my part, and it really you know serendipitous that it worked out as well did you know i got to move to california got to race my dirt bike got to go to a cool school um got to meet a bunch of cool people and you know ultimately you know talk to guys like you so yeah it was that it was a conscious decision but um i don't being an 18 19 year old dude i don't think i thought it through as far as <laughs> yeah yeah uh when do you meet jim hale I, i'm guessing he's doing just boots at this point you start there in 86 I guess he was doing gear by then, but when do you first meet Jim Hale? How do you meet him? Yeah, like I said, I was uh, I was the 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 comp artist they called it back then. Dave Bush had a had a designs had a advertising studio called Studio Twenty One, I think it was, and he was doing stuff for like Drew Lean, and he was doing Kirker and Super Trap. Oh, so you if you're a company, you hire this Dave Dave's mm-hmm. uh, office, I guess, to draw. That's how it works. Yeah. Okay, yeah come in when he would get like an uh you know somebody would come in and say i want an ad i want you to do the whole thing for me and, mm. and dave would say hey kenny can you draw what this ad is supposed to look like so i would do that and axel was one of his clients you know he started out doing some boots for him and, and taking pictures of stuff but uh yeah in, in 84 85 john caper who was the designer with and actually you know helped helped uh hale start that thing he mm-hmm. was made a couple pair of pants you know yoko was making them they had that jersey that everybody makes fun of with the terry cloth and but um they you know it was still in its infancy in the 80s everything was in its infancy so how i met him you know i met him kind of as a as a contractor and and kind of hit it up from there interesting yeah he uh you know started with the boots brought him over from europe and um and then you know slowly expanded the line from there and built it um you know, for a long time, it was uh, uh, Axo Boots and, and, and O'Neill Gear, and, and I think he was involved with uh, a Wrath Camp at some point early on as well. And then the the gear line, uh, right around the time, Kenny, you started started really taking off. Um, I guess uh, uh, um, there's a few innovations that Axel is responsible for, but first off, as a designer, what a cool logo to start with, right? I, I just feel like that was... You know, such a great logo, and whether you say AXO or AXO, because I've heard people say both, um, uh, a nice template to start designing. Yeah, you know, when I started, it was still Alpha Chi Omega. It was still, it was still the. Um, the oh story. really? Oh okay. And they were having trouble with that. They were. Uh, that's kind of how that whole thing happened. You know, I, I have a sketchbook where I have the very first sketch of that uh, the Flintstone logo. We call it. You know, the, the split with the line down mm-hmm. the middle. And- yep. Yeah, my oh, we need to do something different. I, you know, it's like I think we should make the logo cooler and make it look like something different. And him and Remo kind of kicked it around, and they said, "Yeah, you know, let's do what you want to do, and we'll see how it looks." And you know, I did that split logo and uh, put it at the bottom of the one of the first turbo ad turbo boot ads that we did. It was all janky, you know, the logo was all scribbly and looked weird. But yeah, 1986 was the first time that that thing happened. And you know, I, I don't know if it was. Um, if i was really i don't know being innovative or whatever but you know a lot of people copied that with that cut down the middle and 
you know, having split colors like that and the geometric forms of it. And it worked well, like wherever we used it, it was, uh, it was crazy, but I didn't think about it at the time. I was just trying to try not to use that Alpha Chi Omega. Oh, that's interesting. So um, the Flintstone logos, like you said, the, that's the one with the, um, uh, all the lines across from it and the A, the X and the O are, are combined. They're attached, right? It's uh, it's it's actually the the bottom is one piece and then the top of the A, the X, and the O were separate. And we made it, you know, the top was always gray and the bottom was whatever color was, you know, yeah. the product. So that was the first time. That was before it had any outline. It was it was just the geometric form. So it was it was really fundamental. Okay. All right. Yeah. Got it. Um. Now, obviously, when you start with Jim, he's he's eyeballing you. You know, uh, who is this designer? Who's this kid I brought in? What can he do? You know, you help design, redesign the logo. Was there a point of you designing something where he he was stoked on it and, and Axel was off? Because, again, like, and I'm sure you have a lot to do with this. You started Axel in 86. This is when they start coming up. This is the 135 series uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. What, what, what do you design? Do you remember Jim being like, yeah, I like that? From the get-go, you know, when I think the first day I started, you know, Jim says, what do you think motocross gear should look like? And, you know, again, I got a portfolio of, of I think it's, you know, that first few months that I worked there, and there's some pretty cool stuff in there. I, I still think there's some cool stuff. So, you know, we did the, we did the what was it, the Series 29 glove, the plastic bat glove. Yep, yep. First things that can, you know, kind of the bat story, Revo, the the partner the owner of axo you know he was a he was really just a manufacturer you know he had giant um injection molding presses and he just wanted to make stuff and axo was the vehicle to make stuff you know so he was like i need to i need to keep these injection molding machines running what can we make and i'm like well dude let's make a glove and a kidney belt and we'll make some cool letters for the pants and Mm -hmm. blah blah blah. yeah when we started doing that and and you know not only did it look different and cool and you know, it kept Remo's machines busy, and you know that the public was kind of receptive to this new kind of aggressive and industrial look. And yeah, man, that that first glove that we made with uh, with that plastic on the back of the hand and that kidney belt was like Jim knew that we were onto something. And um, I, you know, it it uh, it was it was just happening, man. It was uh, in the eighties, eighty eight, eighty nine. You know, we started to get some riders. We had. Um, Russ Wageman and Willie Simons and, you know, who were local SoCal guys, really fast guys. We got Danny Storbeck, who was our first guy out of the state of California, and things were happening. You know, we got Jeff Leask really early on, and mm-hmm. yep. we, made a, we actually made a jersey. I, I was inspired from something that Bob Farrow did around the same time, and I made that jersey. That was a, it was a cut-and-sew jersey. You'd have the, have the kind of the geometric forms growing across your belly and, yeah. and a big chest, and... Um, you know, it still had the terry cloth cuff and collar, but it was made in Chatsworth. And, man, I was like, dude, that that was it. That kind of, it might not have been, you know, Bradshaw and Stanton of the 90s, but that was. No, it was so, cool. Yeah. It, uh, that kind of set us on a path of, you know, people expecting things from Axel at that point. So super fun time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, so so you were involved in the 29. Yeah, when that series 29 glove came out, that was that was a game changer for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. How much did you, uh, again, in this era, it's JT, probably the number one early 80s, mid-80s. Fox is coming on. Pete and uh, Greg are starting to get more of the uh, reins for designing. Mm-hmm. How much of an arms race was it for you, 85 to 90, 
while John was done by 90, let's say, you know, a little bit here and there. But speaking of John Gregory and the JT people and Pete and Greg and Fox, like how much of an arms race was this for you? It was uh, it was all hands on deck. You know? <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, because I mean, you three. I felt like you three companies, JT, not so much later, just kept elevating styles and designs. Yeah, you know, Jim. Jim was a racer. You know, he wanted to look cool. He had custom helmets, and his gear was always on point, and his bikes were always pitching. You know, in the early days, Emler was building all his bikes, and mm-hmm. then it switched to. But switched to Mitch when we did the pro circuit stuff. But uh, yeah, he was always a style king, man. He always had the pitching. <laughs> so he always wanted to look cool and he always wanted Axo to, to be the best. And, you know, the, the other side of the coin was he was, uh, man, he was shrewd. He could he could sell stuff. You know, he was a great salesman. That's what he did at O'Neill. He he sold Axo. He sold Axo Sport America and everything that that, that company represented. So, man, JT, you know, I. The first time that I actually met John Gregory was at Jim Hill's funeral. I said, you know, you don't really? know me. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I'm surprised. Danced around. It's it's weird. I'd seen him everywhere and just never really had the balls to go up and talk to him. But that day I did. And I said, you don't know me, but you, you know, you're the reason why I'm standing here today. It was, yeah. you know, not competition. I had JT gear when I was racing myself before Axo. So, yeah, man, it was, um, it was kind of knocking down your hero. You know, I can imagine it's kind of like when, uh, you know, like Ricky Carmichael finally beat um, Jeremy. McGrath. Yeah, it had to happen. Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it was for us. You know, we were kind of trying to take out these companies that were, you know, were, were back down that were, you know, we thought were, you know, doing hero things. Absolutely. I mean, you, I don't know. I mean, you and I are probably around the same age. You look at that V two thousand and the V one thousand and and what the mm-hmm. Bailey was wearing. You know, just like it doesn't get any cooler than that, right? And then. Mm-hmm. You just keep trying to make it better and better. I will say the the 135 series, I had a, some of this, raised plastic lettering on the side, uh, a twill material on mm-hmm. them. They flexed, yeah. right? They had that little thing through the crotch that, like, when you bent over. Like, dude, these were game changers. Those pants were amazing. I don't know. They were. Ex- I remember when they came out, the price was also amazing, like, for, for my mom and dad <laughs> freaking out yeah. about it. But, dude, that was a great pant and a great design. Yeah, we were we were looking around at that time. You know, it's like we were looking at uh, what they were doing in other sports. We were looking, uh, you know, everybody else was kind of focused on what they could do and how to make motocross gear better. And we were looking at how to make athletic apparel better. So, man, I was looking at uh, at wetsuits and I was looking at baseball pants and football pants. And I was getting inspiration from everywhere and anywhere. And, you know, those pants are kind of uh, the beginning of what was happening and the stretched knees. You know, we went mm-hmm. with Kevlar. We put that stuff in the crotch and we put the, you know, Sinisala really had a handle on the fit. You know, they, they had that rear kind of that yoke and that. Yeah, it um, fit, it fit yeah. up, fit up high on the back, right? Like, yeah. Fit, yeah, yeah. They, man, we could, we could never do that. It was like the family recipe. They would never, they would never help us out with, even <laughs> when we were doing stuff there, they would never help us out with that pattern. But, you know, make a long story short, the, the gear was changing from, you know, being stuff that you had to wear the stuff that you you wanted to wear because it made you faster you could ride your bike better because you could hang on better and not get as tired and you know there's a yeah. lot of reasons why apparel helps you out but yeah that was the beginning of it i think was that a big seller was that huge that 135 that that 135 pant was everything you know it, that pant was the chassis that that really almost 
man, I think 95% of the companies are still using today, you know, fast yeah. house and deal. And if you, if you kind of squint your eyes, you know, it looks just like that pant. So, um, yeah, it was a game changer. And, you know, Jim Hale stood behind it so hard that he offered a, line, a lifetime warranty on them. You know, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, we believed that uh, that the pants and the materials, and you know, at that time, I think it was changing from Yoko to Cinesolo production, and then moving offshore. But man, it was uh, it was something that um, we spent a lot of time on, which was the uh, you know making sure that it fit, making sure that the materials were cool, but also that the the construction and the you know the the quality of them was was always really really high. And then, of course, you made a jacket to wear around the pits. Nothing was cooler. Than wearing the twill jacket with the, it was very hot, but it was. No, we had a marketing group. They were I forget their name, but um, they were working with Body Glove, and this was around ninety one, maybe okay. ninety two. Yeah. And Body Glove was like, "You guys need to let's take a pair of pants and we'll we'll turn them over and inside out. We'll make jackets and we'll get you into Fred Siegel, and you guys are going to be super studs because you know." At that time, Body Glove that's when they were making the wetsuit, bathing suits, and bikinis and. Uh-huh. They were, they were it, you know, body glove was it. And we were hooked up with those guys and, you know, we, we pimped their, uh, their developers and their designer and, you know, their manufacturing. That's where the early, early gel prints and all that kind of stuff came from. It was all from, from body glove. So yeah, we, uh, yeah. Is body glove, is body glove the reason why the in living color guy was wearing the pants in the video? Remember that? I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know if the lead singer or whoever wore the, one guy wore a body glove and the other guy wore wore the pants, but <laughs> it was at the time, you know, you know, anymore now, every company, mechanics were included, you know, we got guys who, who go out and drum up movie business and, you know, we ask people to the social thing to, to wear our stuff. And, you know, back then it just showed up, you know, like, wow, look at this guy. What's yeah. he doing? What a- uh, hey, and you took a, you took a kidney belt that everybody just had had for decades, just in you know, the old plastic, or not plastic, the old normal kidney belt, and you guys put plastic on the back. I don't know how much it helped my kidneys out, Kenny, but they looked damn cool. They looked real. You (laughs) you guys must have sold a million of those things. As fast as Reno can make them. Right, right. Yeah, they're all colored, right? They're all different colors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a good thing. You know, it was, uh, in that time, kidney belts were still popular. Gold belt was still doing their Everybody had a kidney belt, McGrath, and all the pro guys wore them. So it wasn't it wasn't out of the question to sell as many kidney belts as he did gloves or pants. So man, yep. we were it was it was high times. Uh, getting Wardy to wear the boots and the kidney belt, I think, helped a lot. Rathcamp was doing the Cinesalo thing. I think there were some hard feelings between Jim and Rathcamp at a different at some different points. But uh, getting Wardy to wear Axel boots and kidney belt with the Cinesalo, I think, was a big leap too. Yeah, that was one of the first times that um, you know they were they were mixing stuff up like that. Um, you know, a course, Alpine Star was getting getting boots on people like like RJ, and, but uh, yeah, that was that was big for for uh, Axel because it was a it was a a big name wearing wearing the footwear. You know, it's weird and funny. Um, Wardy was uh, he was he was particular about his gear. You know, he always cut the cuffs off the jerseys, always stretched everything out. You know, he was super particular. He went through probably two pair of boots a year. He uh, he got he got the boots to like a certain amount of like being clapped out, and that's where he lived, man. He <laughs> was uh, you know we couldn't say oh these boots are super supportive and this that and the other thing because you know our main guy was just walking around in leather moccasins, so. It was, <laughs> 
Uh, you know, it's like he was a size 31 waist and big legs. And, man, he was uh, looked good on the bike. And Dave Bush was taking good pictures of him. And, yeah, the two logos, you know, that, that weird Cinesolo, people were still trying to figure out who and what they were. And, and this new company, Axo, and everybody was doing the same thing. And, man, it was just uh, – it was a good time. How do you look at uh, a product uh, like a chest protector? You know, you had the SC2 thing, the front thing, but then you – you look at the Pentagon, right? Uh, and and I, I don't know. Was it your idea to have the different uh, configurations with the Pentagon? Uh, yeah, you know, that, that SD2, that was Afford Caper, too. You know, it's um, when we did it was there was no computer. So we were, you know, whittling stuff out of wood and cardboard. And, you know, I, I did what I thought was kind of a cool chest protector. Man, I, you know, you say successes and failures. I don't want to say it was a failure, but. Yeah, and things sucked. It, it didn't fit very well. So the Pentagon kind of rolled along. And Remo, mm-hmm. he had a designer, and he had somebody who was helping him out with, uh, you know, making models and stuff over there. His, his name was uh, Arrest, Areste Favaro. And you might see on some of the product where it says Safford Favaro Design. Yeah, yeah. He, he was Favaro. He was the Italian guy. And he they came up with, because um, Remo didn't want to stitch anything. You know, if you look at that chest protector, it's all pins and welds, and there's no stitching on that chest protector except maybe the back strap. So, you know, Remo just wanted to basically have this thing crap out of an injection molding machine and, and put it in a box and sell it. So, now it was, it was, it was a, took a long time to make yep. because there were many pieces on it. Um, and it was a, it was really hard to change because of how large it was. It was a big giant steel mold that did a huge, you know, 70, 80 ton press to, to push the pellets through. But yeah, what a what a great thing, you know, modularity. That was totally. That, yeah, that was new. You know, it was we could mix up the colors and you could run it with this or without that. And yeah, that was uh, that was a. I think we did an ad that said you buy this one chest protector and you get eight free. So <laughs> people yeah. were freaking. Yeah, it uh, it was a really neat idea that looked really good, fit well, and I love the design that you could do. Like you said, yeah. you could change it. Um, RC boot, the turbo RC with the with the buckles, um, yeah. represented another step forward for uh, Axo. How much uh, did you have to do with that, and what what did you think about that product? Yeah, that that was um, you know I started making boots with Axo with the turbo boot. I, I redesigned the shin plate in '86, I think it mm-hmm. was. So you know the next boot, the RC, and you know Jim. Jim loved Hondas, so he wanted to call it the RC based on the the works bike. So yeah, that's where yeah. that. Yeah, okay. Because oh, it's the rapid closure boot buckle. <laughs> no, it's, it's Jim really just liked the Honda. So yeah, front you know from top to bottom, that was something that uh, we worked on. You know, looking back on it, and you know for the for the nineties, it's a great product. You know, for for twenty twenty two, it's there's a lot of things that I would do different. But yeah, at the time, man, it was you know those locking buckles and the slim ankle and you know that big giant logo on the front. It was it was. Uh, it hit a lot of it hit a lot of chords at that time, and and people bought it, and it lasted okay. You know, the sole was good, and and again, Remo was like uh, he wanted to make boots, and he wanted to he wanted to keep those presses running. So man, well the uh, the foundation of Axel was in boots, right? The turbo thing back in the day, like like I said, Malherb uh, wearing mm-hmm. them, like that was really where Axel, you know, the boots were ever where everybody knew the name. I felt like, and so yeah, you had to keep it that going. I would think Remo would be yeah. stoked on yeah. that. Yeah. He actually worked for Gabriel um, at Alpine Star. He worked for his dad, Sante, at Alpine Star. So that's where Remo cut his teeth was making oh, okay. high points in the in the late seventies. And then you know that he just bought a bunch of machines and says, "I'm I'm making boots now." 
<laughs> How much did you have to, uh, in those early years, fly over there and, and de- meet with Remo and Jim and design, like, you know, the other designer there? Like, was that, was there, because uh, again, this is, this is the 90s. There's no internet. There's no email. There's, no, you know, there's faxes, I guess, and, and tele- telegrams. How much were you Telefax. going over there? Yeah. Telefax, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Halifax and FedEx. Yeah, we were we were the kings of, of fax and FedEx. You know, we were sending stuff back and forth and, and flying a lot. We would spend a lot of time with Tanza. You know, we were we were busy with those guys. So a lot of phone calls, you know, a lot of uh, back and forth, but nothing like that. You know, we didn't at AXA. We didn't get our first computer until 91. So everything was hand drawn and you would, you know, make a model. And it uh, when we wanted to test a prototype, it was almost a finished product by that point you know it's like you can't rapid prototype something and and see how it worked it's like you really had to invest in the design and then you had to be you know kind of pretty sure <laughs> on the, and yeah with uh, we traveled a lot but um, you know italy dude it was so nice that you know that the years that i traveled to italy paid those for anything yeah really right looking back on it right you're like damn yeah um so like so yourself would you have an early version of the Turbo RC or the Pentagon and be at, at LACR pounding laps, hoping nobody notices for yourself? Like, is that <laughs> was that involved in part of the job process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, uh, you, we would go and race it before even REM was there. We'd go to Dan's on Anza and just go out there and rip around in product that um, that was. Uh, we came out with stuff a lot faster than than we can now. You know, it's. We, the, the lead times were a lot shorter on some of this stuff. So we would, uh, we would get a boot and, you know, not many pro guys would actually use them because, you know, quite frankly, in, in the, in the early nineties, we didn't have many pro guys. So, you know, myself and Jim and everybody, I would say 90% of the people at AXO, we all rode and we all, you know, we motivated. So it was all kind of, you know, we, we did a lot of the work ourselves and, you know, we were people, we were people riding and didn't think that we needed to have, you know, Sam superstar riding in the stuff to validate. Yeah, uh, you're right about that. Uh, Kenny Safford on the uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by the folks at Renthal, Maxis, Cobalinks, Motorsport.com as well. All balls racing. Uh, getting Bradshaw was that '91? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, it was '91. Getting Bradshaw was huge, wasn't it? It was. It was a, a good thing for for. I keep wanting to say McCants. It was a good thing for Axel because we needed. Uh, we needed that guy, you know, we needed mm-hmm. a marked guy. We, we had, uh, the pro circuit and the peak thing lined up for 91. We still had Wardy. And, um, you know, there were good guys, but, uh, Jim wanted to have somebody that would uh, represent what he thought, what I keep saying, what Axel was going to be. <laughs> uh, and Bradshaw was that guy, you know, he was actually obviously poised to be the next person and kind of the attitude that, that Jim liked and, um, you know, he knew his parents and he knew, he mm-hmm. knew, uh, Lunas and it just seemed like a really good thing. You know, he had to, had to arm wrestle the, the foxes for him, but they, um, they, they did some creative things. You know, Jim wasn't, Jim wasn't just only smart in, in, uh, you know, doing business and stuff. He, he had an insurance policy and he had, uh, he made sure that Bradshaw was, uh, was taken care of soup to nuts, you know, not just in gear, yeah. but uh, on the back end too. Yeah, why Axo on the back of his pants, right? That was a big thing uh, when he when he yeah. debuted in it. And and Damon himself told me that he couldn't believe how much gear, boots, jerseys, Axo would flow him compared to when he was with Fox. He just said he, he Jim was just, yep, new set every time you hit the track. Here you go, here you go, here you go. Which was a huge change for back now. Now that's commonplace, but back in '91, not so commonplace. 
No, not so commonplace at all. And, and you got to remember that, you know, a lot of our advertising and a lot of the way that things were getting out of there was, was MXA and dirt bike and dirt rider. And that was the only way that a lot of people were seeing the stuff. So we wanted to make sure that he was every yeah. time the picture and he was in good, clean gear. And, and if we could, it was different, good, clean gear. So he had, you know, we set him up, we'd bring gear bags, you know, Scott Taylor was, was the guy, was the rider up. So it's like they would bring him stuff and uh, say, "Here, first moto, second moto, third moto." At the end of the at the end of the day, give it all away. Yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was planned that way. You know, it was it was um, you know on purpose. Uh, Mission control stuff was cool. I, was Damon okay with wearing that? I, I, it seemed a little out there for him. But <laughs> I never heard anybody say that they didn't want to wear anything until I, you know years later. Years later. Um, the mission control stuff, that big splatter, you know, it was it was the nineties. It was yeah. um it was it, it was, was cool. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you know, mission control, when we were thinking of things to to, to put on a on a sublimated design, you know, I, I told this once to to somebody, but you know, Fox was doing their thing and Pete kind of had that sublimation thing down. You know, mm-hmm. he had the he had the all over design and, and and we had something different. You know, we were talking and big giant swaths of color and when Jim says we got to do, we we got to do this. We got to do something updated, and you know we did mission control, and then tried it again with. Uh, actually, the first one was granite. I don't even. Yeah, know if you were, I remember granite. Yeah. Yeah, we we had granite pants. We had concrete pants, and uh, we had. <laughs> uh, and then we had mission control, and then we had earthquake, and then we just said this this sucks. This doesn't work for us. This isn't who we are. You know, the 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 pattern was one thing, like the graphic, but you know we put it on that pant, that series one fifty one pant, and. You know, had I had a little bit more time to develop that, Dan, I think that that thing really could have been something. But you know, that was one of the one of the shortfalls. I think, if you want to call it a failure, it was it was it was underdeveloped. But Mission Control, I think, was was good. You know, it was uh, maybe I don't remember what was going on with the world, in, uh, you know, during the world at the time. But you know, maybe the bullet holes and explosions was, was not. <laughs> I don't know. If 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 you if 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 you come up with a with a supplemented plan, like you mentioned, the granite and the 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 the, the mission control, uh, you take two of them. How many do you write? How many do you design, Kenny? How many like do you sit down and you have a hundred designs and two make the cut? Do you have fifty and two make the cut? I mean, how far are we getting? Uh, you know, I mean, Life's a Beach put the Jetsons on their shorts at one point. Are you doing little Jetsons and being like, ah, we can't do that? Like, how many things do you got to go through? Uh, not too many because we, the way that I designed things and the way that AXO was designing things was kind of based on themes. You know, it's, if you look back at the gel prints and the, and the overall kind of theme of things, you know, one year it was, uh, it was flowers and one year it was comic books and one year it was something different. So we, we narrowed our focus so that we weren't doing a hundred or a million different things. You know, we, we stayed within the guardrails of, mm-hmm. of how we, Working and and the the theme of what that message was going to be that year, or what the graphics were going to be that year. So everything followed suit, you know, stickers and hats and t-shirts, and it, it, the the entire company was was running kind of basically in the same direction, that of 360 different directions. So you know, when you're talking about how many ideas did you come up with before you nailed that one, I I can imagine I probably only did a handful of them, you know, four or five, and then yeah, said, okay. yeah, this yeah. is the best solution, and we're going to run with this one. Uh, gel print jerseys, they were hot as balls, but they were cool. Yeah. They were cool looking. 
that was it, man. That was, uh, you know, people were, they were making all over print jerseys, but they weren't doing it like that. That gel print was, you know, it was made with gel. I think it was made like with ground up turtle shells as ink. It was, it was basically, uh, man, it, it locked it up. It closed every port that that, that material ever had. And it was almost a bulletproof jersey, but the colors were vibrant and people had never seen anything like that in a motocross jersey. So they put up with it being hot. You know, it's so oversized that once you started riding and the thing started flapping mm-hmm. around, you kind of a little bit, but yeah, man, they were, it, they were warm. Or if you were Bradshaw, you just cut like a hundred holes in it, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and him and Warty and, you know, McGrath was starting to do that. They just take like a little pinch and take the scissor and take a football out of it. and you know, <laughs> uh, the peak pro circuit team. Uh, there's a there's a famous story in MXA of a bunch of your designs uh, because Mitch was trying to sell the team to do an you know an all uh, an all encompassing sponsor for all four riders, have them look the same NASCAR type of stuff. Um, you were drawing. I think there was Jolly Rancher or there was Tide. I, I forget. And then there was Peak. Um, who? How does that happen? Does Jim come to you and say? Hey, this is what Mitch Payton wants. Does Mitch hire you uh, separately to to do something for him to present to people? How does the peak look come together? It was, uh, you know, it all ran through the front door at AXO. Mitch and and um, Jim were were pretty good buddies, and I think they confided in each other and agreed that um, you know Mitch's idea of, of turning motocross into NASCAR was something that really kind of needed to happen. And um, Jim Jim says, you know let's get hook up with Mitch. So we went down there and talked to him and you know, pro circuit at the time was, uh, you know, they were porting cylinders and they were just a race. You know, they, they had a small place and it was just full of metal shavings and just a bunch of racers, you know? And so his idea of, of taking something and expounding on it was like something that we really wanted to do. Well, we, we thought that how cool to make every guy on the team all kind of look the same and, you know, how cool to, to, to be able to make everything look like it was a team, not, you know, everything. It was the crew shirts and the, and the helmets that Troy painted and the box fans that we did. And it was all, it was it was kind of ground, you know, F- or, uh, Fox did it early, early on when they had their team. But it was uh, it was different this time because it was a little bit more, um, I don't know, bought through and, and more accepted to be, uh, to, to be like that and to look like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, from very very beginning is it was mitch through jim and then jim to me and you know everybody else involved in the whole company so yeah i was um that was a fun project to work on you know that the, the peak thing the the logo you know he was working with old world distributors or somebody i think was the guy at the time but yeah we did uh and it wasn't just like you could change the logo on in the computer and yeah you know, you yeah exactly right no no yeah none of that it's so many drawings and it was Gatorade, and anybody that had a somewhat of a decent logo that Mitch thought would look cool on a shirt, you know, he, he didn't know any of these guys. We didn't know any of these guys, and it was just all cold call stuff, man. He was just picking up the phone and, and just hitting it. You show up at Orlando, blue Hondas, white plastic, all peak. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that pretty cool for you? I, or I don't know if you went to Orlando, but the first time you saw that you saw your drawings in action must have been a pretty cool moment. It was uh, it was super gratifying and and um, man, seeing everything happen. But it was in ninety one, ninety two. You know, Axel was uh, dude. It was so busy. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Able to take a to take a couple seconds to kind of catch your breath and say, dude, look at what we're doing. I don't, you know, we really didn't do that. We didn't pat ourselves on the back. You know, we just looked around like, oh, this is mission. You know, what are we going to do next? And then it was like, 
let's 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 paint rental vans and let's you know come up <laughs> let's do this so really you know never really sat back and and said you know man we are bitching and <laughs> you guys should all really appreciate what we're doing for you it was we were doing stuff that just wanted to make ourselves happy and then always looking for the next thing here's what's cool kenny and i don't know if those drawings and the design of peak is 100 percent your creation or 90 percent, whatever percent it was of your creation of your mind of your ideas we're in 2022 and people are trying to copy that look they're trying to make their retro bikes look like that they're trying to uh, uh, you know, the stuff, the stuff sells for huge dollars on eBay, right? Uh, shrouds and a Cherby stuff. Like, it is still iconic in, in the industry. Now, obviously, Jeremy McGrath winning and Mitch winning and all that helps the idea, but your look is, is, is still, you know, 30 years later, the one people want. It's pretty cool, I think, a legacy, you know? Uh, I think that's one of, the, one of the favorite things about what has happened, you know, to me professionally is that it's being recognized as being uh, influential. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's like it made a difference. You know, it, the 90s were a special time and, you know, it, it's kind of the Ferris wheel of, of fashion. You know, it's it's coming back around and to be recognized for being involved in it at the time is, yeah, super, super gratifying. I'm, I'm really stoked that, that people... You know, not just old guys like my age are like, oh, you know, they should bring that shit back. You know, everybody says that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And when the kids buy it and they don't know who it is, you know, it's like they just they want it because it's cool. And and that's, um, you know, that's that's legacy right there that, that, you know, kind of, I don't know, vilifies or, or what's the right word? Kind of makes it all worth it, you know? Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, Pete told me, uh, Pete Fox, I've talked to him a bunch of times on some podcasts with him. Jim touched on it as well. We're, we were in this era where uh, uh, there was uh, Axo Honda gear, only available through Honda dealers, Yamaha Axo gear. Uh, Fox was fighting to keep their riders in gear, and then they would turn around and they, you know, they signed all of Team Yamaha, did the exact same thing that they were fighting against. Um, it, was a, it was a contentious time for sort of uh, – uh, and I think Peak started this, right? Peak started the OEMs thinking this could be – uh, something where they could get in bed with the gear guys. And it was a real um, contentious time with gear companies and riders. And everyone was trying to, you know, get their sales up and by leasing out their gear. But weird time for our sport. You know, we had Honda line, we had Yamaha stuff. We had riders and teams switching because they couldn't, uh, they had existing gear deals and all of this. Yeah. You know, Axel was in the middle of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Pete was talking about it's exactly true and we were even part of it we were making the hrc stuff that that stan wore when he was battling with uh with bradshaw so we didn't want to make it like honda line stuff you know we didn't mm -hmm. want to make it like it was honda gear we wanted it to be axo gear with honda logos on it so it was a, it was a weird time for us you know we in uh when they were doing the honda line stuff with jimmy button and um Boy, who else? I think RJ was wearing some of the stuff. And, you know, we were trying to get them to wear the stuff that Honda was going to sell and really, really difficult because the riders didn't want to, they didn't want to look like the guy they were lining up against. No, and, yeah, yeah. You know, we were doing our damnedest to make sure that everybody was looking cool and different. And, you know, the, the bike manufacturers are like, let's, you know, put everybody in red, white, and blue or, you know, blue and black or whatever the case is. And they just thought it was kind of a means to the end where it was less work for them and less money and it would go to the team and, you know, it was just uh, it was a different mentality than than the individuality that that Axo and that Fox was. You know, we 
we craved and we really wanted to see happen because that was that's what that's what the gear companies were all about you know when we ran an ad it was it wasn't with one color of something it was wow look at this stuff comes in 47 different colors you know yeah yeah right we were selling was variety how much uh do you know pete fox at all would you talk to him how much during this time when you guys are just 1a and 1b whichever way you want to talk about it how much how competitive were you with pete and everybody in the very early days, I, you know, I probably saw him at uh, a trade show, you know, in Cincinnati or at a, at a Supercross race. But yeah, I mean, we were just just two people doing the same thing. You know, I I didn't know him very well. He didn't know me, and mm-hmm. not until later in my career did I really get to know him. I actually went up to Fox and interviewed there to be to work underneath him, and um, that's where I got to know him and, and his dad. And they they turned out to be really nice people. But yeah, it was uh, we were um, I wouldn't say enemies, but we were dancing around each other. You oh know? yeah, wasn't, yeah. It wasn't just Pete, you know. I was the guys down at Answer because they were like, they were like three buildings down from us, and we swore they went through the dumpsters. So we, <laughs> it was, <laughs> we uh, we had a had a, I guess it was a friendly competitive rivalry with just about everybody. Yeah, yeah. It was a a tense time in the industry for sure. Uh, Kenny Safford on the uh, Fly Racing Race Rex podcast. Hey, one thing. That you never really got going at AXA was helmets. I mean, you had you had them, but they never they never captured the market. They never sort of captured the uh, the era. Uh, helmets were one thing that if you I don't know if they missed that might be a, too strong of a word, Kenny. But yeah, I couldn't really get the helmet game down. Yeah, you know, eighty eight, eighty nine, we were doing a, a bell. I think it was a Moto Five. So I went to Rancho Illinois and we put stickers on it, and you know, we had a bell helmet that was an AXA helmet and. That was okay, but you know, Remo again. He wanted to make helmets, so he bought a he bought a carbon fiber chamber <laughs> and water. And he was like, "We're making helmets, damn it!" So we uh, we made them. You know, they they started out with like an awry version with the removable chin guard, and then went right into the to the matrix. They called it, and they were good helmets. They were light. They were carbon fiber. You know. Hoffman wore one, and we didn't have so many pro teams wearing the stuff. But uh, it was it was weird because Jim was leery of helmets. You know, every time we sold a helmet, it cost us twenty five or thirty bucks for insurance on it. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. it was a, it was a liability, and Jim was uh, was leery of that. And uh, a lot of big companies at the time were making helmets, and you know, to have a, hel- a DOT and to have a, a helmet that Remo could sell in Europe, they were two different things. Mm-hmm. So. That, it just really got kind of weird. We were having fun putting stickers on them and, you know, doing those water float things and actually making them look like they were custom painted. So, you know, we did a we did a few things that were innovative for helmets at the time. But, yeah, it just never really stuck with, with action. People people wanted to put back on their feet and not really on their head. <laughs> so in 93, you leave Axel. How come? And how, how does Jim take it? Yeah, Jim didn't take it very well. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> take it very well it was a it was a weird time in axa you know it was it was growing pretty strong and we could see on the horizon the mechanics where it was going to happen and you know sinisolo had again been spun off and you know rent was happening and the inside motocross magazine came and went and you know i was uh i was a number of years in there and um you know i was kenny from axo that was that was who i was that was my identity so for me to you know to have the long and, and hard conversation my wife was like, you know, I, I think I've learned enough from Jim and from this to, uh, to try and do my own thing. So, you know, I branched out. I started Sapper Design, which I still have, and I started a little mountain bike clothing company that that um, you know Troy Lee had started, kind of dabbling in in the early days. And we started a company called Scary Fast, and 
I I had a bunch of gloves. I used the the vendor from uh, from my motocross days, Hun Jin. You know, I said, "Hey, Mr. Lee, I'm I'm starting this thing on my own, and this is wherever you need." And so, man, I I took out a five thousand dollar loan, and we bought five hundred pair of gloves. And you know, I was in the glove industry, and in the mountain bike industry, it was fledgling at that time. You know, ninety three. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I thought I knew everything. You know, I I thought I knew that. Um, <laughs> I thought I knew how to run businesses, which uh, which is different than being a designer and um yeah jim was uh he was upset you know he had a lot of good designers still left there but um i was the creative director and i was the guy who decided every year what like i said what guardrails we were going to work in and yeah you know it you know that was the time that remo was like i don't know how things are going over here and you know they they toyed with the idea and ultimately sold half the business to the zagos and um, ultimately, a hundred percent of it, and then you know, Jim, his his love affair with AXA was gone because he could no longer, I don't want to say manipulate, but control or run the company from America anymore. You know, it was an Italian company with new owners, and they they wanted it to be run the way they wanted it to. So, you know, I think uh, I don't want to say I was the reason that um, you know AXA Sport is no longer even in business, but I will say that that their design language, their look, their focus on on you know, being, uh, I don't know, contemporary shifted, you know, they, they changed it out that weird little logo and, um, things just went sideways, you know, and, and, and it was the, Jim only owned the, uh, he only owned the rights to sell it in North and South America. Um, and mechanics where he owned a hundred percent of it for the entire world. So, you know, the writing was on the wall. Interesting. Yeah. It, it definitely around 93, 94 started, heading south like you said a little bit some of the designs and some of the so they like there was no more breakthroughs you know what i mean there was none of that um was it financially related though a little bit or was it just fact that you were kenny from axel no man i was making as much money as bradshaw you know that that's a story when he hired bradshaw you know i was i was still doing what i was doing and i'm like okay we just hired this damn bradshaw guy and you're paying him a, a pretty good chunk of money i go you think it's going to be worth it for for axel and he says yeah totally and i said well do you think it's worth it for me to keep designing this stuff he says oh yeah totally and i said well then i think we need to have a new deal i want to make as much money as bradshaw so i was <laughs> nice yeah i leveraged it to the hilt and for a few years there man i was high on the hog and so i had a little bit of scratch in the bank and you know like yeah, i said i right. you know i thought i was smarter than i was should have just said, "Hey, listen, Jim, give me twenty percent of this mechanics worth thing, and we'll call it even." Is that cool? Oh, yeah. I, I, none. <laughs> you wouldn't be at office at the work today, that's for sure. Not today. <laughs> um, so you end up going to Alpine Stars though after doing your own thing and designing for some different clients and style. Cinecell, one hundred percent, no fear. Uh, and then you end up at Alpine Stars. Uh, is that Gabrielle at this point, or is that his dad? I don't, I don't know the timeline. Yeah, of that. you know, in, in '93, when I walked out of, uh, I walked out of Axo, went home and kind of licked my wounds and decided what I was going to do. The next day, I walked into, uh, I walked into Cinesol where Bob Rathcamp was. You know, he was, he had a little, a little industrial space just down the street from where Axel was. And I says, "Hey, Bob, man, I, I left. I, I'm no longer at Axo." And he says, "No shit." So. <laughs> He said, do you, do you want to come back to Cinesol? And I said, I don't want to come back to Cinesol full time. I, I would like to, I would like to have the, the kind of the comfort and the peace of mind of having a paycheck. And mm-hmm. so I, I went from 93, you know, I went from AXO. I started working with uh, Cinesol again and John Caper was there. And, you know, that's when McGrath was still there. So the next year I designed a new Jersey and pant for McGrath. And, you know, Bob had 
I think one of the best years that he ever had. So he introduced me to Gabrielle in 93 or 94 as a way to, to kind of keep me busy and to keep me inside Cinesala, if you will. So yeah, I met Gabrielle early, early, early on. You know, he had one catalog that had a few boots in it and a couple sweatshirts. And, and I think he was still living with DeCosta down in Costa Mesa or something. And he, uh, he and I, you know, we hit it off really well. He, um, he would travel. I would travel. I had cool projects. I was his art, you know, him and myself and uh, and my partner, Rob Underwood, um, my design partner. We, uh, we were Alpine star, you know, we did, we did everything for that guy and really helped each other out. You know, he, he had cool projects. And I don't know if you, if you've ever interviewed him or know anybody from Alpine star, but yeah, man, they, they wanted to be number one, even from the very, very early days. So best riders, best products. I, uh, I toured the place uh, maybe five years ago. Really impressive uh, over outside of Venice there. And, uh, yeah. and Gabrielle impresses me because he'll be at a Supercross on a Saturday and a MotoGP on a Sunday and an F1 race the next week, and he's all over the place. Um, uh, all place, yeah. Did you did they have the 8 yet, or was it still Tech 3? Did they go? Were you in, Did you have a hand in the Tech 8? Uh, yeah, I did the Tech Eight. The first boot that I did when uh, when I went to Alpine Star was, um, I think it was called the Tech Five, maybe. So we worked on the Tech Five, and then uh, you know he wanted to work on the Tech Seven, so we did the Tech Seven, and you know I did Seven, I did the, the Tech Eight, I did the Tech Ten, I did the road race boots, the GP Techs, and yeah, I mean I I've kind of been involved in the best selling motocross boot since the Turbo Boot of 1985. So. Yeah, true, right. <laughs> So um, what what made you what gave you or someone the idea to put a booty in a boot? Uh, you know, again, it's a manufacturing thing. You know, if you look at the inside of a motocross boot, there's a lot of detail and a lot of work to go into the finishing. You know, they, they make boots basically inside out. They're kind of splayed open. So the less work that you have to do on the inside of the boot with finishing and nice leathers and slippery this and, you know, inside seams, the better, the quicker you can make a pair of boots. So we thought, well, let's take some of this, in, you know, this engineering that we're putting into the boot. Uh, by by means of you know ankle braces and you know extra full grain leathers and let's um let's put a booty in there so uh you know his, his idea my idea um actually uh you know there was there was companies out there that had booties in their boots you know dynasia had a really rough road race boot that had something but okay. um, you know alpine star we took it to the next level you know that booty on the inside of the boot was um dude it changed the game it really did it was, it was way safer. It was easier to make. It was customizable. It was, you know, it made up half sizes. There was so many things, so many problems in modern boot design that that, that booty solved it. Um, yeah, again, that's one of the things that whether I get any credit for it or not, you know, it's, um, yeah, super proud of that. And I felt like around this time that you were there, because I, I worked for FMF Honda in 98 and we were Alpine Star. They had tennis shoes and running shoes and gear bags and 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 everything. They like it just came out of nowhere. I imagine that was a big part of your job. Yeah, it was, man. He was like, "Let's make stuff," and I'm like, "What do you want to make?" And he says, "Everything." So we did. <laughs> we made everything. It went from when when I first started with him in '93. You know, he had a he had a jersey and a pant, but it was only for Paris Dakar. It was only for you know Danny Laporte. I think was the only guy who wore it. And uh, really rough stuff. They made it in Romania or someplace. And so we started making gear. We started making, um, <laughs> yeah, like you said, it was uh, when we, uh, Dale Davis actually did the very, very first uh, 
Alpine Star logo. And, um, you know, when I, again, when I went there and I, I can't leave anything alone, I, I monked with it and kind of streamlined it and italicized it and, you know, brought it into to where it is now. So that logo was just like we couldn't put it in enough places that uh, it just looked good everywhere. So, man, we made yeah. it everything. Yeah, that Dale Davis from Extreme. Um, uh, yeah, yeah that, that logo, yeah, the A with the star. I mean, it's, like you said, it's iconic, right? It's just, yeah, it really is. Um, so the Tech Ten too was a little bit of you as well, Kenny. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, that thing. So when when do you when do you start with a Tech Ten, and when does it come out? What's your process? How long is that? To, so something yeah. like that. The Tech Ten was uh, obviously going to be the new Tech Eight, so it yep. was something that we're working on for quite a while. Um, it went from, it, it jumped right over the tech nine, you know, early designs. If you look on my Instagram, there's some, there's some sketches of a tech nine, but, uh, it took, it took longer than it should have because we were, uh, you know, again, you just can't rapid prototype this stuff. And, um, it was, a, it was a different time for mechanics where, I mean, oh my gosh, for, uh, for Alpine star, <laughs> it was changing. They were getting their own, uh, their own little mini production line for samples. And they were getting, uh, you know, people who could actually rapid prototype pieces of the boot so that we could make them and um and it was speeding up but it was still not fast enough. you know there was there was so much innovation in that boot with mm -hmm. the reverse and the tongue on the front and on the back and yep. you know it was made and just the materials actually the injection and you know there was a <clears throat> alpine star had a had a boot called the uh oh, what was it um it was a, a freestyle boot that pastrana wore mate oh okay i don't remember that Every, but it was the first boot that had a bonded sole, you know, it, and it, it didn't work very well because it was um, it was for freestyle and, you know, who wrote freestyle. But anyways, we took that we took that what we learned from that and and morphed that onto a to a tech seven that I still have in my garage. And, and that was the first kind of bonded sole mule, if you will. You know, and I, I wore those things around for six months before we decided that it was really actually going to work. You know, the glue was going to hold. And yeah, yeah, wow. Replace the foot peg bed. And, you know, the stuff you needed to think about. And it took uh, it took about a year and a half, maybe two years, before we had something that they were they were ready to show people. And, um, you know, it's a lot faster now. But uh, back then, I think that was that was pretty quick. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna fulfill a lifelong question for me on this podcast, Kenny. What what happened to the, why don't why isn't the Tech Ten just a Tech Nine? Like why did you skip? Why they skip over nine? I don't. What, what happened? You know, I, I because Gabrielle said that this boot is too good to be just one time better. Oh, okay, all right. Well, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, that's awesome. That's funny. Um, Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Kenny Safford. Hope you've been enjoying it so well. There's still a lot more to go with my interview with him. Thank you to the folks at Fly Racing. Of course, flyracing.com, man. Uh, check out their line of gear. Uh, Zone Pro goggles, too. They, they have those. Put them on the podium with JB10, of course. And thank you to the folks at motorsport.com, OEM, and aftermarket parts. And uh, anything over 79 bucks is free shipping. Great service, great shipping, and a dedicated team of gearheads there to help you with the UTV stuff, the street bike stuff, and, of course, moto stuff. They have a banner on pulpamex.com or pulpamexshow.com. Click on the banner. takes you to Motorsport. Make a purchase. We get a slice of that, and I can continue to uh, bring in good guests every week on the Pulp MX Show because uh, I need that support. So please do that. If you're going to buy from Motorsport, go through the banner, man. It really helps us out. That would be great. And uh, also, uh, thanks to the folks at Motorsport for the support. They, they support the Nationals. They have the Pulp MX Fantasy as well. They, they do. And uh, Driven to Ride videos are really cool. They brought those back this year. Motorsport 
Cobalinks.com. Thank you also the Cobalinks. Cobalinks is a lowering suspension link for everything from Aprilia to Yamaha. Get, gain some confidence, have better suspension, improve your plushness of your suspension, be able to touch the ground by, you know, with lowering your suspension via a Cobalinks from Aprilia to Yamaha. Made and designed up there in Boise, Idaho. You can get those at motorsport.com or you can get them direct and use the code PulpMX to save at motorsport.com. Free shipping with the code as well. Uh, free shipping in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, please check it out. If you're short of stature, your wife or girlfriend want to ride and they want to feel a little bit more comfy on those bikes, uh, Cobalinks will make you a lowering suspension link. And use the code to save. All right. Thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to you people. Back to me and Kenny Safford. Now, Alpine stars, like we talked about. Gabrielle just took the company to another level, much like Jim with AXO and much like Mechanics Wear, just to another stratosphere, you know, in the industry uh, beyond Moto. But I've heard, and I don't know him, I've heard he's a hard guy to work with a little bit. He's, you know, he's a very hard worker. He's a very demanding guy. He's Italian, so you're dancing around a, a little bit of that as well. Um, what's it like to work for him? Well, first of all, working for Alpine Star when I was there, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a works ride for me. It was everything that a designer could desire. Uh, no budgets, the best athletes, um, tech, uh, state of the art manufacturing, and a desire to be number one. Do whatever it takes to be number one. So when when I was working there, and from my perspective, there was there was very few downsides traveling and. And the pressure of of coming out with new stuff all the time was the thing that beat me down. You know, I, I lived in California. I had, you know, a new family, small mm-hmm. kids. And Gabriel, he, like you said, every 10 minutes he was in a different country. And he, he wanted people to work as hard as he did. You know, he just wanted his things was don't work as hard as you can, work as hard as I can. So he, he kept up a pace that was pretty I've brutal. I've heard, yeah, yeah. He he uh, he you know he didn't demand it but he worked he works all the time I I would imagine he might have slowed down a step or two but um but I didn't mind you know it was uh, it was a good time for me and um it did catch up with to me after all you know in, in 2004 I was like I got my family you know I would go to Italy sometimes for three months at a time you know when I was working on the catalogs there at the end of the at the end of my tenure I would be there for three months and. Um, it was just too much for me. It was uh, it was just a travel just beat me down. But he, it's not so much that he was a that he was hard to work for. He was easy to work for when you understood his motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, and his motivation was your motivation. It wasn't hard at all. And, and for me, for those for those years that I was there, it wasn't hard for me at all. You know, he has a unique way of managing, and he has a unique way of speaking to you, and 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 making sure that you understand. And you know, sometimes it's drawn out, but at the end of uh, at the end of you know the reason that you went to go talk to him, you understood where he was and why he was and what he expected from you. And um, I would assume that's probably still the same now. You know, I think probably maybe it's a little worse as you get older, you get a little less patient, but um, man, you know, it, the, the company is, is, is representative of, of who he is. It's, it's number one and it's classy and it's representative and it's, you know, you don't have yeah. to, you don't have to look into the sheets to, to find out what Alpine star represents. No, you're right. Absolutely not. No, iconic, uh, indeed. So in 04, you go back to Axel. I'm imagining, Kenny, I'm imagining the family that bought it from Remo and Jim and, and started it and kind of they had fallen off times. Antonio Caroli was wearing it for a little while there. I can just picture just like a briefcase full of money and being like, Kenny, bring us back. Bring us back. Here's a briefcase full of money. 
you know what? I wish that was the story. You know, okay. <laughs> yeah, I really do wish. When I when I left Alpine Star, you know, I had talked to the Zagos, Alessandra and her sister, and um, Chris Dangle was the guy. He he was at um, he might have been at Helmet House by then, and he was like, "I'm talking to we're bringing we're bringing Axel back. We want yep. to get the band." And I wasn't their only choice to be the designer of of the resurgence. You know, it's like they had a few guys that they were talking to, and you know, I was the most expensive, obviously, and. Um, but plus I had the, I, like, I, I had a briefcase full of history with Axel. I knew what to do and what not to do and mm-hmm. what they did and what they didn't do. And, um, it was, it was good money and it was a chance to, to do something again. Um, I, I don't think I would ever work for a resurgent company again because, you know, lightning strikes once it's, it's so hard to, to bring that, that magic that Axel had back. But, um, I had a good time there. You know, we did, you know, again, we did some good things. Um, we had some pretty good designs and, you know, that, that controversy over the, the compression jersey, you know, that thing will never die. And, but <laughs> Axel, you know, Axel of the, of the, of the early 2000s, you know, we came out with that little short boot, that slammer boot that, um, that was made for 50 riders. But, uh, you know, a lot of people wear those things around, mechanics wear them around. So they did that and that jersey. And, um, we did some pants that had a pretty cool trick knee and, um, it was just, uh, it, it, man, it was, I don't want to say it was doomed from the beginning, but it was a good company. It, it made money and yeah. it took care of people and, and you know, it, uh, but it was, it wasn't AXO. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't 91 anymore. No, no, it's tough too. It's so like, you know, you look at Thor WPS Fox is, is, is the 800 pound gorilla. If you don't have your distribution, you, yeah. I, I don't know why I would, anybody would start a gear company today. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's just uh, these companies are just they have it, you know, all all done already. So independent guys are pretty pretty tough to do. Um, do you when you do you go back to mechanics? Where is Jim there when you go back? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, oh, so I, he 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 gets you back to, in the into the fold. Um, you know, Jim wasn't. Jim didn't say let's go get Stafford back. I it, it, I could see that Axel was uh, was closing down. They were going to bring the design department and everything back to Italy, and mm-hmm. I knew that my tenure there was going to be over. So I, you know, I put my hat in the ring. I I interviewed with everybody and actually had you know a couple of verbals from a few people, Under Armour being one of them. But um, mechanics, where I I went back there and I said, hey, is there something? Is there something maybe here for me? And I was actually talking to Barry Walk, who was the president at the time, and and Michael Hale, Jim's you know Jim's son and now the CEO. Jim was uh, at that time in in '09. You know, Jim was um, he was like uh, he was like the Wizard of Oz. You know, he would come by mechanics where once a month maybe he would. Okay. He was you know he had already moved to Vegas and. You know, when Jim would come by the office, we would all stop what we were doing and just wait for him. It was like Forrest Gump. He's going to say something. He's going to talk. You know? <laughs> uh, so, no, Jim, uh, I think it, I think behind the scenes, you know, they went to him and said, hey, you know, Safford's available. It's it's going to cost this much. And, you know, it's going to disrupt the guys that we have because he's a force to be reckoned with. And, um, yeah, you know, it uh, it happened kind of organically, not not all at once. It took about six months for everything, or nine months before everything kind of squared away. But uh, yeah, so they said we yeah. we'd like you to come back. You know, when I rolled back in there, it was um, it was like a bunch of dogs at the pound. You know, all us designers were all circling around each other, trying to figure out you know who the next guy to get eaten was. So <laughs> I was so uh, a couple things. I would think that maybe Jim would still be upset that you left, but clearly not and then two 
I would think Jim be like, hey, man, Kenny's the guy. Like, Kenny's designed all this stuff, you know, but not not that case either. You had to, like, legitimately go through the whole process to, to get a job back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jim didn't have any feelings. You know, it's um, he it was open arms when I came back. Both he and Michael, you know, everybody there. Nick was – his brother was there and, you know, it was still very much a family operation. And, you know, we had we had licked our wounds and mended our fences. And, and, and he was, once again, a, a really close and – good friend of mine so uh, mm-hmm. but, but we just worked it we didn't work together anymore we were we were right. separated by a certain amount but you know they at that time they were getting some competitors from different companies uh you know they weren't the, they weren't mechanics where they weren't the only guy in town you know they, um they needed to be kind of shook up a little bit you know there, there's some some folk tale and stories that um you know it's like they they knew that i would come in and, and do what i did in the early days and i did you know i came in and said hey what about this and why why do we do that and let's do it this way and you know i i think uh you know the, the proof is in the pudding where it's it's um it's a different place now because it's a lot more sophisticated in its mm-hmm. designs and but yeah i did man i didn't uh it wasn't just like hey he's back I'm yeah it wasn't like that okay yeah uh, uh, you designed the Moto Triple X uh, box fan with the flaming eyeball guy, and I drove that thing. I worked there for the year in uh, in uh, '02. The van was still there, an eye catching van. Uh, I, I don't know how many people looked at me driving that thing down the freeway, Kenny, but that's your design on the side with some guy just barely hanging onto a bike with giant eyeballs. <laughs> you know what? I I didn't do that. You didn't? I didn't do that. No, I know Jordan Burns. You know, I, I've known him. Yeah. My wife. My wife and he went to the same high school together, so I, I know I know his real name. I, I've known him for a really, really long time, but I didn't do that. You know, I thought that uh, was a Safford design. I was all these years. Yeah, oh. would, no, he's, you know Jordan's bringing that stuff back, so it would have been nice to have been included in that. But yep. no, I didn't do that one. Sorry. Um, what? Uh, who do you admire now when you look at gear? When you look at design, certainly Seven has has raised the bar a little bit. Um, you know, there's definitely some nice stuff out there. Fox has still got stuff that I, I don't really like, but I can see some younger people liking it. Is there a, a gear company or a line or two that, you know, grabs Kenny Safford's eye and, and you're like, that's sharp. That's, that's awesome. Um, you know, I, I, I've been helping fast house out a little bit with technical stuff. So their vibe, you know, it's, yep. uh, it's just how the gear fits or you know if it's cheap enough or blah 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 it's like how you feel when you wear it you know it's you you want to you want to feel first of all safe you want to be part of a tribe you want to be part of something included into something and and fast house ticks all those boxes for me right now alpine star is i think the best technical company when you look at the stuff that jet's wearing or that mm-hmm. uh, you know that um, sexton's wearing when you look at it you go this stuff is made to function it's made you know it's stretched this and i really like you know nine times out of ten i like their graphics um so i think of the two companies one being the technical race company alpine star and the other being you know the company that i think is going to be the next company well and that's fast house so those are the two companies that that i look towards when i you know to, to be inspired or to say you know my, you know motocross gear is in good mm-hmm. hands there's a lot of stuff that's like why are you even bothering you know I, I look at different designs and, you know, I bite my tongue a lot of the times, but there's stuff out there that I think if, you know, they didn't, they didn't have distribution, they, they wouldn't be a gear company. You know, it's, it's, um, I don't know, I don't want to say embarrassing, but I think it takes just the, the, the same amount of time and the same amount of money to do it one way as it does another, which is good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think just, man, 
hire the best designers that you can invest in the in the in the direction that you want to go and then hit it man i think it's such a uh, it's such a dichotomy for some of these companies because Look, man, there's uh, 16-year-old kids buying them, and there's uh, 55-year-old vets buying them, and how much do we want to invest in each of these lines, and how much do we want it to look crazy and colorful, and we got to make gear that satisfies, you know, 40-year age range, and and so the colors and the look, it's all over the place, right? And it's tough to nail that, I think, for, um, you know, back in AXO days in 1991, you guys had eight colors and one set of pants, you know, and and now I think it's yeah, it's such a... I don't know what I would do if I own one of these companies because you got You can't make everybody happy, but you got to try to make everybody happy and feel feel good about making their purchase. You know, so yeah, tough to do. And then you know the Alpine Star thing. You know, some of the the other gear companies will tell you, you know, they got they got Sexton, they got Tomac, and they got Anderson, and they got the Lawrence Brothers. And you're right, it looks amazing, and it and it looks like it it's so good. But then that's not the stuff you can buy, right? They they are making custom one off stuff. And and that's great for the Alpine Star guys because their budget can afford that and everything else. But you, some of these other gear companies are like, "Hey, wait a minute, time out! You can't buy that." So yeah. we're in a different era, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look at the Fox website, and you know, I'm like, "Holy crap, man! There's there's got to be I don't know 40 different versions." I know, of right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's much work, and every every eight bucks, there's a new price point. And I mean, I, uh, you know, dealing with gloves or, you know, our gloves cost between, you know, two bucks and four bucks and, and it's hard to make them, you know, any cheaper than that. And when you're dealing with pants and jerseys and gloves and there's 40, 50 different styles, mm-hmm. oh my God, their design department must be Mohemoth. You know, I, I know one guy who works down there, Chris Eckelmeyer, and he seems pretty happy with what he's doing. So they must be doing something right inside the building. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's the product that you put your, well, you put all your heart and soul into everything that you've done over the years, I'm sure. But what's a product that you didn't work, didn't sell, didn't make it to production even that you were sure of, that you would have bet a lot of money on? There's got to be a few of them over the years. Wow. Um, yeah, Mechanics Wear has a few gloves that I was sure that we're going to we're gonna pop off. You know, we did a lot of, a lot of research and a lot of, uh, you know, sweat equity mm-hmm. we put in category for, like, um, the energy sector, oil and gas, you know, and, that stuff didn't work because it, um, again, like you said, it didn't get uh, it didn't get any foothold in distribution. So, you know, product-wise, I think it was okay, but it just didn't it didn't happen with the people who were going to use it. So that's a failure, right? I did I didn't I didn't do what I should have done to get get it on people's hands. And you know, when you're talking about motocross stuff, um, yeah, yeah, top of my head. We made a few boots that didn't work. You know, that, that air boot at, at Axel in the early, early days, way too stiff, didn't work. Oh, the uh, the vented one? Yeah, yeah. You know, Willie Surratt was the only guy who wore it because he was ornery enough to, to actually wear it. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I heard the holes were too big. Too much water got in there. Too much stuff got in it, there. Is that... it, was a, it was a giant hood scoop for your foot, you know. It, um, yeah, it was, man, I think it was like 99 or 110% plastic, so it was it was a gnarly boot. That one didn't, that didn't work very well. But, um, you know, I, I like you said, I put my heart and soul into things, and, you know, I don't want to say when, when it's, you know, when you can put it on, my work is done. I don't want to say that, but mm-hmm. a lot of not up to me whether, you know, things are successful or not. You know, I, I think some things that haven't been successful are some of my favorite projects. So, you know, it's... Um, 
success, failure, it's it's a it's a barometer that that is a tricky thing for a designer. Absolutely, I I I, I totally could see that point where you're you're like, look, this is my baby. I've designed this perfectly. The colors are great. It looks great. It functions great, and it didn't get marketed. It did yeah. whatever. Yeah, you know, somebody didn't win a Supercross in it. Whatever, right? Um, many things. Many things go into that. Um, most successful thing, maybe, maybe that kidney belt, maybe those Series Twenty Nine gloves. I mean, you have a couple. <laughs> yeah, both those. You know, yeah. market recognition. You know, being uh, accolades, if you will. Those are two. Those are two really high things. Obviously, the success that the Tech seven, eight, and ten have had, you know, the, the part that I played in those, and mm-hmm. and now mechanics wear. I designed the very first mechanics wear original glove in nineteen ninety one, and like I said, it's um, yeah. it's there, the marquee of that company. It's um, I just actually redesigned it, you know, again I think for the not many at the time, maybe fourth or fifth time. So that product was good from the very very beginning, and it's still good. You know, it's selling over two, I don't know how many million yeah. pairs a year. It's it's a mechanics wear glove, you know. It's it's the it's a refrigerator or Kleenex of of that category. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It, uh, that that is a that's a super proud thing for me. Yeah, it's a Q-tip where it's not even a the Q-tip is just a brand, but everyone just calls it a Q-tip. It's it's that level. Yep. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. It's it's pretty amazing the things you've done uh, and the things you've designed and the the millions of dollars you've generated for these companies over the years from from a piece of paper to to production it's got to be got to be pretty cool like i said i mean to me the peak stuff and all that is is an, a, a real good legacy but then so are those other products right like the tech 8 changed the game the tech 8 changed the game you know yeah. uh um and yeah so it's got to be got to be pretty cool to sit back and look at that a little bit it is it's nice to look back it's nice to wear the stuff you know it's it's nice to look at some of the old drawings and say ah you know i could have made it better <laughs> To reminisce a little bit but you know to kind of say i had a part in a lot of this stuff you know it's you know that if i only tell my kids or my wife that you know this has been this has been a good run and we've had some good things you know my kids are amazed that people still kind of know who i am and uh and i think that lives on through the product you know it's it's not something that um you know you didn't know a lot of the stuff we didn't know each other but we knew we knew of the product you know mm-hmm. so yeah end of the day i think that's enough what did you do you have anything that you designed that never made it to production that you're like this is a good idea this would have been awesome anything come to mind um not a good design but i think it would have been good for the time you know in 1989 and 90 axo remo we came out with some glasses we actually made like blades if you can remember those yeah yeah Um, they were they were good they were optically correct and they were made well and they were had a cool package and i think you know jim was really good friends with Gennard, and and i think they said you know what let's let's agree to, to not do this and it didn't and you know i have a few samples and i think somebody might have might have got a production run of them but um, really wow send me a photo if you got a if you next time you're in your garage i'd like to see these yeah yeah i will i think that's something that could have changed the course for Axel in those days because it was like you said man it was on the verge of becoming something different yeah yeah it really was and and think about like you know like your mechanics where like jim makes a square glass with an iridium lens and he's off, and he's printing he's money, off. right? <laughs> and, and you, as a designer, looks at an Oakley blade and be like, "That's it, that's all you're doing." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so funny how that stuff happens in the world, right? And, and everything else. Um, what's a product that you could take back? You mentioned that SC two earlier. Uh, 
Is there a product you could take back where you're like, my bad, that didn't work? <laughs> uh, let me think about that. Um, man. I mean, I will say, Kenny, when you threw the Series 29 in the washing machine, they didn't end up very well after that. They, no, they curled, they curled into you know, a ball. They were made with goat skin. You know, that's what JT did, and that's what we did because that's what they did. <laughs> it was like it just like their gloves. They turned your hands red or blue, and and it shrunk up. And after a while, they were junk. But uh, you know, we warranted them. It wasn't until we came out when and we were the first company to do it. We used Clarino, that synthetic leather on the palm. Um, oh, were you guys yeah. the first one to do that? Really? Yeah, we that, was, that was great. Do it. You know, when we started doing that, it was. Uh, Toyota and Nike were like the only two companies that were using that Clarino. It was out of Japan, and it was um, it was a game changer, not only for us, but for again for the industry as as, as yeah, sporting totally. as a whole. Yeah, that was um, that was something. But yeah, taking something back, top of my head, I I think I blocked out all those things. <laughs> okay, was, next question: What's something you wish you designed? What's something that you look at? With your eye, your design eye, and you and you like that's that's sweet. That's a great idea. Is there a mark a product or two that that I mean, you know, you talked about the glasses and all that, but is there something that you wish you you designed? Um, you know, every company has something that I wish that I would have thought of. You know, that that mm -hmm. silly pin that Troy did for his helmets, or the or you know something that Works Connection did, or something that Mitch did. You know. It, as an industrial designer, you know, I'm not just a clothing designer. I'm a designer, you know. Mm -hmm. So everything that I look at, I was like, why didn't I think of that? Or why didn't I do that? Or why, you know, how can I take that inspiration and, and include it in what I'm doing? So everything that I look at is something that I wish I would have done. Yeah, Eric Eric Phipps at Works Connection tells a story of his first frame guards that looked so mm -hmm. bitchin'. And they came from such a rude, rudimentary background, right? And then you're like, that's a great idea. And they look yep. awesome. You know, yep. so yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. As an industrial designer, you know, we're we're trained to be problem solvers. You know, it's not just uh, you know artists are are different. Graphic design artists or painters or mm -hmm. sculptors, if you will. You know, they they're they're kind of uh, I'll, I'll call it self gratifying. You know, it's it's not the product's not done until they say it's done. Well, you know, when you're an industrial designer or an engineer, you know, when you when you're in that vein or that in that industry, it's you know there's a problem to be solved, and the design's not done until that problem or at least that problem is solved. So, Dude, um, I just remember too, Kenny. I don't know if it's your idea. That the Tech Eight had the backwards buckle on the bottom, like brilliant. That was uh, <clears throat> that was um, that was a good idea because it was catching. You know, the buckle was exactly. Catching. You're not going to break them anymore. They're going to be on top of your yeah. foot. It's brilliant. Yeah. Eight, you would always see guys with open buckles and and mm -hmm. get reels. We can't have this. Let's do. <laughs> Let's fix that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. Uh, did I miss anything, Kenny? Anything else that I? I felt like I did some research for this pod, by the way. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like I kind of have these little pockets. I, I joke that I've really only had maybe two or three bosses or jobs my whole life because I just kind of bounced around within the same little little group. But you know, in the, in the early early days, Axo Sport, a lot of cool things happened in there. In the later days of Axo, you know, Renfall was something that we're pretty proud of. Double anodizing. Um, you know, purple bars. That was something that we came up with for the Pete guys. Um, you know, helping uh, Henry with uh, making sprockets for the first time. That was something that Axo did inside motocross. You know, that's something that um, that yeah. we worked up. And, and, and that was a high torque thing, right? J Jody, basically not Jody, but Roland saying, "Hey, we're not going to advertise with you if you keep making a magazine." 
Well, you know, at that time you lived or died by the editorial, you know, and, 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 uh, and, uh, Jody Weisel and Jim Hale were, they were really, really close. They were good friends and, you know, Jody and, and Roland could see what, what the, what, you know, they called it a magazine, but it really wasn't a magazine. And, and we were taking food out of their mouth, but, you know, again, Remo was like, Hey, what, what's this magazine you guys are doing? It's taking focus away from me making boots, you know? So <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, when you got right down to it, it was, uh, it was a money thing, you know, it, it, um, who knows what would have happened with that, you know, Fred and Coon and, and, um, and the designers that worked on it and Dean Joseph, who was the art director and, it, um, you know, the four issues that we did, it was, uh, we did it all out of the art room at, um, at AXO and we were having fun. Obviously, you know, we, we wanted more people to ride motorcycles and, and we thought that that, that coffee table book would, would do that. We it would get, you yep. know, a repeal and I think it did. I think it still does. Well, so, Davey, yeah. I mean, Davey, that's why Davey started the Racer X magazine, right? It was an inspiration for him. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, cool that he still pays homage on that last page. Yeah, he does. Uh, do you have in your garage right now, Kenny, or a storage unit? Could I find, like, old Pentagons and Turbo RC boots? <laughs> I was thinking about I'm looking around my office right now, and I have a spattering of stuff. About 12 years ago, we moved our house, and, and I had everything. I had Bradshaw's number one jersey from the Coliseum that we never gave him. Oh, and wow. I had, yeah. I had a lot of stuff, and I'm like, you know, who is who really cares about any of this stuff? So I, I sold so much stuff, and, you know, 15 years later, I'm like, you idiot. Oh, idiot. Damn, I wish I would have known about this. Yeah, I, I would I would have been there because I scour eBay quite a bit. I just six months ago I bought a brand new set of SCD pants and jerseys, uh, oh. you know, with the thigh pads on them, right? Yeah, and uh, got it on eBay and put it on a put on a uh, on a on a mannequin in my studio because I'm like, this stuff was cool. I had this stuff back in the day, and and I scour eBay quite a bit for that stuff. So yeah, you, is that the pink set that you have behind you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, yeah, you saw it. Love so, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you. Man, those guys, they, they were so, they were so uh, apprehensive and scared to do anything different. You know, they wanted to stick to the same pattern. They were, they were a lot like Wardy in a lot of ways. They wanted to <laughs> to stay and, and to be Sinisalo. And, you know, God bless them. They did up until the very end. I saw a set of SCD McGrath purple pants on eBay and I saw, shot Rathcamp a note. He's like, no, those aren't real. Those are just, you know, whatever. And I'm like, perfect. Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Otherwise I would have bought them. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man uh well hey congratulations uh kenny it's not your career is not over by any means still at mechanics Square, but what a run man uh what a what a run from these iconic products uh that you've had a part in and uh designed and 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 you know brought motocrossers so much joy and so much uh, uh better ideas uh really really cool to talk to you man thanks for the time Right on. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. You know, I'm just glad that somebody wants to hear about these old things. And I don't know if I if I can maybe help somebody out along the way, you know, kind of tell them what I did and how I got to where I'm at and, you know, why it is the way it is. And, yeah, I think we're all better for it. We should almost do a part two. I'll, I'll get back to my notes and, 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 and really drill down some more questions. could do a part two of these for sure. <laughs> you know, if you look through my portfolio, the few pages that I sent you, I got stuff in there. You know, I, I did some stuff with uh, – with uh, Bailey and David Dre when they were bringing JT back. And I did stuff with, uh, you know, Skip when he was at No Fear. And there's, you yeah. know, I got so there's yeah, a lot of stuff in, in the, in the meat of, of what I was, uh, what I was doing as a designer. There's, there's a lot of cool stories in there. Yeah. Really, really awesome. All right. Well, let's do that. Let's do a part two. I really appreciate it. Fly racing racer X podcast with Sa Kenny Safford. Thanks, Kenny. It's my pleasure, man. See you guys at the races.
This has been the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show, presented by Maxxis Tires, Renthal, Motorsport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. Thanks for listening and supporting our partners.